Orange is the New Black Season 3, Episode 7 is over. But we are just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. I hope you guys are enjoying our, you know, semi-binge watch, semi-regular appointment here at Post Show Recaps to recap everything that's happening in the world of Litchfield Penitentiary. And with me, as always, to recap everything you saw in Episode 7, here is the person who is the world champion at playing MASH, Ms. Taylor Cotter. That is straight up true. I love playing MASH, and that was a very exciting moment. How are you doing, Jess? I'm doing good, despite the fact that I, you know, I have 14 kids, and I married Russell Crowe, and we're stuck living in a shack. Hey, can't complain. You married Russell Crowe. Yeah, well, we drive a BMW, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, MASH. You know, strangely prophetic. So... Get hype, everybody. I've been waiting for this for like a year and a half now. Yep. We finally got our Norma episode. As soon as we finish recording the next, uh, the last episode, Jess sends me an email that's like, it's Norma. It's finally Norma. So uh, was it everything you hoped it would be? Oh, it was so weird. It was weird, but it kind of was everything I hoped it would be. Like, yeah. I feel like we got a full story here. Yeah. And, you know, we were saying that... When we finally find out what Norma was in her old life pre-prison, we wanted it to be spectacularly strange. Mm -hmm. And I think we definitely, it delivered on that promise. Yeah. So let's just dive right into Norma and then we can, uh, this was Norma's episode. I think they kind of felt like they owed it to her and owed it to us and uh, kind of the rest of the stuff that happened, you know, circled around her. So uh, let's talk Norma. Yeah. All right. So we find out that Norma can talk, which we we knew she could sing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we didn't know if like it was some kind of selective mutism, sort of like Raj on the Big Bang Theory. Right. And that's a comparison I never thought I would draw. (laughs) Um, Or if it's more of a or if it actually is like some kind of physiological thing. Um, or if she just chooses not to speak. And I think what we found out this episode is that she has a very, very bad stutter. Right. And she ended up joining a cult in the late 60s. It looks like the late 60s, right? I think so. The timing is all a little off to me. I'm still trying to figure out the details there. But, yeah, it seems like she was just kind of this lost girl who didn't have any friends and, you know, sought out... uh, sort of a cult and you know yeah your classic cult story and uh the uh the stuttering i thought was uh it was an, a, a kind of obvious choice you know but i like i it's interesting that that wasn't the most interesting thing about her you know like we were kind of waiting we're like ooh, like i wonder like why she's mute and it's like why she's mute is pretty you know classic reason for being mute and but the story around her was super super interesting yeah yeah and you know i think that that late 60s early 70s period like historically and culturally that was a time where like Everybody was experimenting with religion, and this is when you get Jim Jones, this is when you get the Mooney cult, Mm -hmm. so this is when you get the Hare Krishnas, so it makes a lot of sense, like, given the character's age, it makes sense that she would end up here, and her arc seems to be, in present day, also kind of religious and culty, or at least we're getting there, like, she started out as someone who, you know, she and Gloria are cooking up some santeria stuff in the kitchen and all of a sudden oh it worked and now Mm -hmm. she's starting to get a little bit of a following and i guess in prison you get bored but people are responding to this mysticism in a kind of a strange new way 
Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, you know, kind of, I thought a little bit, there were some themes in this episode of, like, a sense of self and, like, finding something to believe in. So, yeah, there's no one, you know, more desperate for something to believe in than a bunch of women in prison. So they, doesn't surprise me that they, once something Norma does kind of works, that they all jump right on that. Yeah. Um, one person that I'm kind of psyched to be seeing more of this season, and it's a classic case of like background character kind of easing her way into the foreground. Um, I'm I'm thrilled to see more of the crying lady. Yeah, that it's like a little uh, almost like an in joke. Yeah, and you know a lesser show would just like, give this to a whole new character and be like, oh yeah, I've been here the whole time. Which we're going to get into that too mm-hmm. because they did do that as well. Yep. But I think. I'm finding this religion stuff is getting, it's getting weirder and weirder as time goes on. Yeah. And I, uh, it's, I don't really, I don't mind the religion stuff as a subplot. I think the mysticism is a little much. And, uh, uh, in this episode, Norma kind of, uh, she is able to, I, I don't cast a spell. I don't know the what she's really doing. But like, oh, uh, it results in Red getting the kitchen back. So she's able to, um, you know, I, like, I just don't know. I feel like, is she summoning a spirit? Is she casting a spell? I don't, but she like lays her hands on Red. And then, you know, a series of hijinks happen and Red gets the kitchen back. So it's like, are we supposed to believe that this is real magic or are we just supposed to believe that this is kind of uh, just a series of coincidences? Oh, that that's the question. And I think we've seen before the way that small coincidences can kind of get blown up into bigger mythical things. Uh, right. Like with the chicken, this is kind of like the chicken. Yeah. Uh, true. We, we're seeing this like whole kind of, this whole kind of mythos being built around small things. And I'm not sure if we are meant to believe that Norma has actual mysticism or if it's just a thing that happens in prison where tiny things get blown way out of proportion. Right. But let's go back to the Norma flashback because I, I think, like, we kind of called it that, you know, the meek, quiet one that we don't really hear much from who's been kind of a background character but still a presence, that's the one that's going to wind up being a murderer. Yes, of course. And I guess this is why I was confused about the timing, because we've talked about this before, that like in the minimum security prison, you have people that commit minor crimes and then people that commit major crimes that have been around for a long time. So I guess I was wondering, because Norma didn't look young when she committed this crime, but I guess it could have still been like 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm thinking it it must have been about 20 years, because it looks like it was around 40 years ago that she hooks up with Guru Mac mm-hmm. and you know, she spends 20 years with him and then kills him and then goes to prison. Yeah. Cause she was already there when red arrived and that was like 15 years ago. Right. Right. You're right. Yeah. So I think the timeline, I think they're playing fast and loose with it, but I think we can kind of pinpoint the approximate time, which at which she ended up hooking up with this cult and point at which she ends up murdering the guy. Right. So this cult leader, you know, takes her in when she's a teenager or really young and uh, gives her everything that she's looking for, acceptance and friendship. And uh, we get what looks like, oh, they got married. Like, that's kind of sweet. And then we realize 
uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, he is marrying quite a few young women <laughs> at this ceremony. I'm like, oh, oh, I, I get what's going on here. Yeah, well, that was the 70s. You had a lot of guys starting cults just to get laid a lot. Yeah, what a world. Yeah, what a world. Um, <laughs> and I really, I guess it's sort of, you can see where the appeal was for Norma. But I can't figure out, like, once people started to leave the cult, she stuck with him. She's, like, the very last one. Yeah, I mean, she must have had, you know, no family and really nothing else going on. Like, this was her true sense of purpose. And you can kind of see that parallel in her attitude at the prison. That, uh, especially in, like, the couple of first scenes when you're like, oh, wow, everyone here loves Norma so much. And it makes her so happy when they all, like, say good morning to her and talk to her that she really thrives off of that acceptance. So yeah, like she kind of, even though she's out of it, like still sort of has that cult like mentality. Yeah. And it looks like she was hanging on to the mysticism angle of that cult long after Guru Mac had thrown it out the window. Yep. Yep. He, she really, really believed it, which is sad. And uh, it makes me like the fact that she killed him was so satisfying. Yeah. And I have to wonder what exactly, there was a story in the news last summer, actually, where a woman killed her husband by pushing him off a cliff, and she was spinning it as an accident. And I have to wonder, like, how how do you, how do the cops decide whether someone got pushed or whether it was an accident? So it seems like the kind of death where you could really be like, oh, he's standing on the edge of the cliff, and he was greeting the morning and, you know, singing praises to the, you know, mystical presences of the spirits and he tripped and he fell and he died right and also considering that this guy was on some level like an abuser i'm guessing that the fact that norma couldn't talk is a lot of why she ended herself in prison because i think it's a pretty clear case of uh uh somewhat retribution or whatever i don't that's not really a defense and she (laughs) probably can't she probably couldn't stand up for herself if she did have a good excuse she wouldn't have been able to deliver it right exactly exactly yeah so and i i would imagine that someone who's living in a van with a guy who looks like he should be hopping boxcars i'm gonna guess you probably can't afford the best legal counsel probably not yeah she was really stuck so that's what, it was so satisfying. He, she deserved to kill him. So the bummer that ended her in prison, but at least uh, he is not around anymore. Yeah, I mean, of all the reasons that we could have Norma on the show, I'm glad we have Norma, and I'm glad that she had a really good reason to be there. Yes. A very interesting one, to, for certain. Yes. Yeah. And that's Norma, pretty much. Yep. And she, she got a line. Yeah, it's such a great line. I guess, do you think we'll see her sing more? I hope so. I mean, Annie Golden is fantastic. Uh, right. I don't know. I think we might have talked about this last season, but um, she is was one of the one of the bigger figures in punk music in the early eighties. And I've forgotten about that, and I saw an article about that the other day. And that's that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, she has a song on the Sixteen Candles soundtrack. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, um, she is. I've. Actually, I've seen her perform, and she is fantastic. So I was really excited when I realized, oh, that's her. And she's on this show. Like, of all of the strange casting they could do, this Mm -hmm. is one of the stranger ones, and she's doing an amazing job with the part. 
so cool. I hope we uh, she gets some sort of other storyline. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she will. It looks like she is gearing up to be a bigger presence in the series. Yeah, if she's driving all this mysticism, then if she's the center of it, I'm sure she will have yeah. something to do. Yeah. All right, so I think we don't really have much more we can say about Norma at this point, uh, but it'll be interesting to see exactly how far this mysticism angle can go. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for them to wrap it up, but uh, I guess you kind of need the supernatural element when everything else is too real. Yeah, yeah. But we got we got Red back in the kitchen. Norma and Red yeah. reunited. That's a yeah. great duo. That is, you know, for casting Orange is the New Black, Amazing Race, that is one duo I want to mm-hmm. see. Red is so uh, controlling of her, though. Like, it's, uh, it's sad to see that part of their friendship that, yeah, uh, Red is, she cares about her and she wants to protect her, but sometimes she's not really, it's kind of like she doesn't really know Norma. Yeah, she tends to kind of speak for Norma. Yeah. And that is, it's a little uncomfortable when you see that it's clearly not what Norma's going for, what she wants, and she can't defend herself. Yeah, it's a little sad. And like, it's kind of one of those things, it's like, oh, she really is looking out for her best interest, but needs to kind of tune in a little bit more to what Norma's trying to say. So yeah. I think they're on that path. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's a it's a better it's a better dynamic duo for Red than the Red and Healy dynamic. Yes, I am much happier with this. Very glad we saw much less of that this episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so Red gets the kitchen back, pop That's the uh, good news, but the bad news is, yeah, they have to serve food from bags. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> it looks it looks so horrifying. Yeah, that was not good. Um, I think there's always going to they had a lot of conversation in this episode too about the kosher meals. So I wonder if that's going to come to a head soon. That uh, food in this prison is not great. Yeah, it, it does not look fun. But it, what I do enjoy is um, Cindy is starting to embrace Judaism. Yep, yep. Woody Allen movies and yep. Seinfeld and all, all the most important things about. Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's got the cultural angle down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, 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 we don't get enough this season. I think of those tiny little fun subplots and I miss them. Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot like how, how really funny Cindy can be. Yeah. She is, she is very entertaining. Um, I also enjoyed, I enjoyed her rant about rule 34 in the panty shop. Yeah, that was uh, came full circle because we talked about that with Mike Bloom a little bit. Yeah, everything um, is a thing. Yeah, yeah, that was really funny. Um, in that scene, though, I have to say, like, they're talking and uh, Ruby Rose, uh, who, whatever her name is on the show. Carlin, and, I think. What is it? Carlin is her prison. Carlin. Yeah, Stella Carlin. Okay. Um, but that's a cool name. Um, and uh, the... She starts, like, naming the most, or Piper's talking, and, like, it's obviously Piper is, like, really weirded out by fetishes, and, like, that spirals into its own thing. But, like, the fetishes that Ruby Rose or starts naming are, like, the most generic, basic fetishes that everyone knows about. And they're, I was like, this couldn't be, like, less interesting. That they're like, 
furries and bronies and I'm like, <laughs> like we, we know like <laughs> I, I, I want to yeah. hear about like the toaster yeah. loving peeps that's what I want to hear about yes exactly tell me more about that yeah if I, so, I'm going to seek out my same minded toaster loving peeps it's all going to be good yes neighbors like oh like you wow you know so much about fetishes I'm like, uh, okay <laughs> I cannot stand Ruby Rose's character can yeah. I just say she's yeah. just like it's like somebody's writing Orange is the New Black fan fiction yes. and they wrote an original character to come into the Orange is the New Black universe and oh she's been there all along so she knows everything about the prison and she's super hot and she's got fun tattoos and Piper's into her and Piper's gonna dump Alex for her and and it, oh she has all these clever things that Piper's so impressed by. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're going to write Orange is the New Black fan fiction, why are you writing a new love interest for Piper, who's the least interesting person in the entire show? Yeah, and I agree. It's really... I, I'm i enjoying the idea of Piper finding a little prison side business. But not if it's going to give us more of Stella Carlin. Yeah, it's it does feel like fan fiction. It's like the hottest lesbian they could find walks in and like uh, it's it's cool, I guess. Like uh, the but the interesting thing about this show is like people's backstories and like this almost is like I don't want to go so far as to say like a manic pixie dream girl. For Piper, <laughs> she but totally it, is. It kind of is, right? Like, yeah. It's like she's so Piper's life is so boring. Like she and Alex are in this nice relationship. Like she's not doing anything interesting, and then like this girl comes in and you know is uh, like quirky and. Well, like funny and weird and I'm just like okay <laughs> whatever yeah I think right like giving Piper the business to start is probably a better arc for her so this part is not going to be fun to watch yeah yeah I, I don't really and I I almost think that like the next episode we're going to get this like big flashback episode and it's like meet the new character she's the poochie of Orange is the New Black what is that from? Um, this is from watch. The Simpsons. Okay. Um, Itchy and Scratchy briefly had a new sidekick named Poochie that everybody was trying to force on the kids and be like, Poochie is cooler than Itchy or Scratchy. Look at all the cool stuff he can do. And everybody hated him. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, she's the Poochie. Perfect. Um, uh, what else was I going to say? But anything oh. that brings us more Cal, I'm into this business because of that. I was going to ask, though, do you think that Carlin is the mole? Um, or has she been there the whole time? There's some merit to that. Like, it seems like, you know, she shows up, she's not wearing orange, so we know she's been there a while. Mm-hmm. And we, we, I think we are meant to assume she's just kind of, like, rolling with other people. True. How um, much do you think I can compare what's going to go on in the next six episodes to the reality show, The Mole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just realized this, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have my list. <laughs> I'm gonna. Well, we do place. have we do have a sexy new character with a silver buzz cut. If we need an Anderson Cooper stand in, I'm gonna nominate Lolly. Perfect. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's perfect. I think Lolly could be the mole too, though. I'm not taking her out of consideration. Yeah, well, and it certainly looks like we got a lot more evidence for that. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know exactly how much. Uh, I don't know how much merit there is to Alex's theory that someone's coming to kill her. I don't know about that, but they they brought it up now a couple times, and yeah, Alex did really indicate like, oh, like she was in Chicago with us. That's weird that she's here. Um, 
So yeah, I think they're Lolly is front runner right now. Um, yeah, especially like claiming she doesn't remember Piper. That's exactly. a little bit interesting too. Yeah, and then she suddenly remembered her. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's someone coming to kill Alex. That seems pretty heavy-handed, but I if Alex is just a paranoid person, that's not really interesting. Yeah, well, if we've got the fan fiction writers on the case, it's definitely going to be Stella. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, and it's going to be like in the last episode, she's going to like come out with a shank and be like, hey, surprise, it's me. I stole your girlfriend and now I'm going to kill you. And you're be like, here's your $250,000 for figuring out who the mole was. <laughs> yeah, and Lori Petty drops in in a suit yes. and hands yes. out money. Yeah. So, and Alex seems less thrilled by this business proposition, but she's got better ideas than Piper because Alex is better at crime than Piper. Right. Yeah. She's still pretty into it. I guess I'm not 100% sure why they're doing it. Like, they don't need the money. They, but I guess the, well, if they're just bored. They don't need the money on the inside, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, Piper's probably got her parents topping off her commissary. But when she gets out, if she ever gets out, this this series might run for, you know, <laughs> 20 seasons and Piper just murders somebody every year so her stuff gets tacked onto her sentence. Right. But once she gets out... She, you know, her best friend doesn't speak to her. She's lost her fiancé. Her parents and brother, like, her parents are really kind of hands-off with her, as we saw when they came for her birthday. Um, But, and her brother is kind of a mess. Right. She's a convicted felon, so she's not going to be able to get a lot of jobs. Yeah, so skill building? Yeah, what the hell is she going to do? I Um, guess so. It'd be nice to have a little bit of a nest egg. You know, when you get out, they don't really, you know, they give you, like, a sweatshirt and a bus ticket. Yeah, so I get that's totally valid, and I hope that uh, this business takes her really far then. She's basically an internet entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it's interesting that everything that happened in Chicago is kind of coming back this, this episode. Yeah, I had forgotten um, when Piper went to Chicago that she was convinced that she had murdered Pennsylvania. That was, like... Super important. I forgot all about it. Yeah, it feels so long ago. Right. And we've seen so much of Pennsylvania in the meantime, it's like, it's hard to remember that she was ever near death. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, let's switch gears here. I mean, do we need to... We don't really know much else about how this business is going to work, um, but Cal's pretty game for it. Cal's game. They want to get the new, the new kid... CEO to help them, but they only kind of planned the seed of that and didn't get into the details of how that's going to work. Yeah, and... Because uh, it probably won't. <laughs> that could go either way, you know? Yeah. that He could be into it, or he could be like one of those one of those kids that has to tell on everybody. Yeah, he's like, a mess. Because he's so new, and he doesn't really know like what you can and can't get away with. He's just going to be like, that violates protocol. I gotta go tell Caputo. Yeah, he could, and but he's also seems like a huge idiot, so he might uh, might just go for it. Yeah, Alex, Alex is not wrong that he's malleable. Yes. Yeah. So over in HR, we're getting a lot of new guards. Uh, there was so much HR drama in this episode. Like they literally sat through an HR meeting <laughs> in the episode. 
Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, And, you know, we've now got an HR specialist and we've got a guy in PR and and they're going to give everybody two hours of training when they're supposed to have 40. And it's, you know, it's not very good. Right. It's straight up just being like, okay, this prison is a business now. We have to cut costs and we're going to cut costs wherever we can. And Caputo, you know, sticking to his guns and saying that he knows what he's doing and he's this kind of noble warrior of taking care of this prison. And and Verbiglia uh, is against everything Caputo stands for. Yeah. He's against being- proper training of guards. He's against porn on the computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, those are the two things Caputo cares the most about. Yeah, um, he's just destroying everything that Caputo loves. Right. Um, and we kind of saw this coming from a mile away that Berbiglia is the, he is the evil person here. And uh, when they get into describing the org chart of how everything works, uh, you can see that uh, he, more or less, he is the warden, even though he has a fancy title. Uh, he is running shit at this prison and he's Caputo's boss. Yeah, even though he'll he'll claim it's, you know, their collaborators or whatever, but... Right. Yeah, he's definitely the boss and he's definitely not looking out for the inmates. He's all about the bottom line. Right, and yeah, I guess it's like the devil came to Litchfield in New Balance sneakers. <laughs> yeah, well, what could possibly go wrong? Right. Yeah. So... We've got uh, some unlikely alliances being formed. It looks like it seemed to work okay to have to have Crystal run Benny up to visit Gloria while she's bringing Mike up to visit Sophia. Right. What could have ever gone wrong? There? And their, their sons are the same age. It's like it's, it seems like a natural alliance, but it turns out one of them's a bad influence. Yeah, and like I, Sophia is so good, and her wife is so good, and they are like the kid is so sweet, and. Uh, this is, uh, like, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's, like, cute in the way that it's horrible. <laughs> it's, like, that, yeah, Gloria's son is not doing okay having his mother gone and uh, swearing in the car and being very mean. And uh, I think Sophia's son is looking for kind of a big bro influence in his life. So jumping right on that. Yeah. Yeah, and I... I like the idea that they kind of, it's like a prison family on the outside. Yeah. But if one of them's going to, you know, if, if Benny's going to get Mike into trouble, get him arrested or something like that, I, I don't think I'd like it anymore. No. Yeah. It's kind of, it seems supportive and it seems nice, but yeah, I think there's a reason why these kind of things don't happen all that often. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a shame because... There's not much. It's really kind of a lose-lose situation for Gloria. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And I think Gloria's having a really hard time, and this kind of spirals her nervous breakdown into giving up the kitchen. And it's... uh, I can't even... Like, this, I think, is, like, one of the more tragic things about, like, being a woman in prison is, like, really not being able to either, like, to see or influence your family whatsoever and having all that go on without you, you know, hundreds of miles away. Yeah, and there is a not insignificant percentage of women in prison who have kids on the outside. Exactly. Yeah, so it's one of these moments where there, you know, I understand there are a lot of discrepancies between the show and what prison is really like. Like, not the least of which is there aren't a whole lot of mute people that get 
they get put in there for murdering their guru. Um, most people in prison, like a huge percentage of them are low-level drug offenders. Yeah. Which, that doesn't make for an exciting story. I understand that, but I do think this show could be a very important platform to bring to light some of the real struggles that women go through. Definitely, and I think sometimes we get caught up in myself, probably most of all, but I'm like, oh, I wish I like the funny jokes and bits about this show. And I'm like, uh, no, this isn't a sad show. So it has to kind of remind us that this is about a prison and uh, the jokes and the comedic nature of it are nice, but uh, it is sort of a platform for telling real stories. So I'm not going to glaze over kind of the more bummer parts of it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I think the show, even when I don't like some of the choices they make with it, I think the show is doing a very good job of treading that line where they're bringing to light some social issues that need to be examined, and they're putting a spotlight on the real tragedies that happen in the prison system, but they're also putting some levity in there so that you'll stay engaged and you'll keep paying attention. Right. And it's such a hard balance to strike. And sometimes they don't hit it exactly right, but I think on the whole, they do a very good job. I agree. Yeah. So we got a lot of like, we got a lot of like people sort of pushing their stories forward. Like we got a little bit of Daya, like wondering what is the right thing. And we've seen that before. Yeah. This felt like episode seven, right? It's like we had six episodes before this and we have six episodes to go. Yep. And like this was like, all right, let's tie up a few loose ends and let's set up everything for the second half of the season. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, although they injected some they injected some good moments in there that I don't think are necessarily going to pay off. But like we got this fabulous scene of Suzanne um, mm-hmm. talking about her story that she's written about the love pangolin. Yes. How amazing is this? It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, of all the people in the prison to write E.L. James-esque erotica. Yes. I'm into this. It's, you know, it's not just sex. It's love. It's love. And it is because Pusey, who is so desperate for love, is finding real solace in this story. She's, She's into it. Any port in a storm, right? There aren't any books to, around. I know. So you're going to read whatever comes in front of you. And so maybe in that regard, it's... You know, getting the inmates to use their imaginations. Yeah, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> yeah, and um, the word squishmitten, that's a that's a new one on me. Good, yeah. I mean, Shakespeare invented words. Yeah, the, you know. Who so. says the show doesn't teach you anything? Yeah. Yeah. So I hope we get more of that. It's so great. Yeah, I would, I would love to see more of it. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of, it was similar to the first episode in that we're just jumping around a lot, like... You know, don't forget, you know, Suzanne's trying to use her imagination. Don't forget, Pousset is sad and lonely, you yeah. know. Don't forget, Black Cindy wants to keep her kosher meals. Yep, and uh, Daya is wondering what is the right thing to do. Gloria is struggling with her son. Sophia is also struggling with her son. Do you feel like anyone is making the opposite argument that Daya should keep the baby? <laughs> There is no reason. There's no earthly reason. Then maybe it's because I'm not a mother myself. But there's no earthly reason that Ty should keep that baby. Even the reason that, like, she is the mother and she's going to love this baby so much isn't even being brought up, really, as a viable argument. Because, I mean, the baby is going to be taken away from her anyway. So, like, I feel like nobody has come out and been like, 
have you considered keeping it? Like, everyone's just kind of like, so when are you going to decide to give it up? Yeah, well, Aleda goes back and forth on this, I think. Um, like, she wants the money and she wants the payout. But it's, it's yeah, it is ridiculous. There's no reason that she should be pondering keeping the baby. Because not it's not like she's never going to see it again, either. She can, it seems like, you know, Mama Pornstash is open to having a semi-open adoption. Right, that's pretty terrible, though, when Pornstash yeah. gets out. That's the worst part of yeah. that. I feel like no one's even talking about it. It's like, oh, you're bringing your baby back into Pornstash's life? Like, how can you do that? Yeah, you know, everyone's just like, oh, she's so rich. So, yeah, I mean, that's that is that is the one drawback. I don't know how much time Pornstash is doing, but I can't imagine it is, you know, more than 18 years. So he's right. going to be involved in the child's life at some point. Yeah. And if we've learned anything that like you can stay in people's lives while they're in prison. So, yeah, complicated. It is very complicated. Um, let's see. Where else do we need to go here? Um, um, this might be almost everything I Yeah. Um, it's pretty much all I've got in my notes. This was really... We got kind of a short podcast today because there really isn't a lot. We got some answers to some questions that maybe necessarily weren't going to be crucial to the plot. Nice things to know. Like, where's Larry now? Working at Zagat. Yeah. I mean, good for Larry. It's hard to get a job in publishing in New York. Yeah, I guess having a New York Times clip is a good thing, but yeah. you know nobody cares what happened to Larry. Like we didn't care what happened hey, to Larry when some he was. People care. You don't care. <laughs> I don't really care, but I. <laughs> I like Jason Biggs. <laughs> yeah, Jason Biggs is okay, but Larry yeah. is the worst. True. Like Larry's a garbage person. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, uh, but I guess you know he and Polly can ride off into the sunset together and. You know, maybe that's the last we will ever hear of him. I hope so. Jason Biggs can have a different Netflix show where he plays somebody we like, and we would watch that show, and we'd probably even podcast about it. I, I believe me, I'd be all in on that. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up episode seven. And if you guys want to share any comments, like tell us where we screwed up, what didn't we talk about enough, what do you want to see covered in future episodes, we want to hear from you. Um, you can leave us comments on postshowrecaps.com. Just find the episode that's relevant to your interests and leave a comment there. You can also leave some reviews in the iTunes store. We have a dedicated feed that you can use uh, for that. And you can also engage us on the social media. Over at Twitter, I am Haymaker Hattie. I am Taylor Cotter. And we love everything you guys want to talk to us about or about Orange is the New Black. And yes, once again, I confused the two O-Black shows that I cover. Uh, Mike Bloom and I will be wrapping up the finale of Orphan Black uh, this weekend. And there's many, many other great things happening on Post Show Recaps. We've got some extra content. We're covering Wayward Pines, wrapping up Game of Thrones. There's many things in the archives if you want to catch up on your binge-watching. Post Show Recaps has all the analysis you could ever possibly need or want. So that's about it for us. Uh, we will catch you for episode eight. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new, and everyone is waiting, waiting on you. And